0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Creatable Future podcast with Ryder Tracy, an education podcast for teachers that shines a light on industry practice and connects it to the classroom. At Creatable, we've spent a lot of time this year looking into what skills are most important for students in the future. One of these is an evaluative skill set. Things like being able to ask good questions and collect the right data, make informed decisions we found that a lot of industry voices we've been speaking to are employing people with the capacity to draw upon these evaluative skills. So in the next few episodes, we'll be taking a deep dive into evaluation. With that being said, uh, it's my great pleasure today to have my good friend, mentor and evaluation expert, Dr. Duncan Rintel, uh from Rooftop Social. Welcome, Duncan.
1: Thanks, Ryder. It's
0: great to be here. To kick us off, could you tell us a little bit about Rooftop Social and your evaluation uh, expertise and experience?
1: Sure. So I'm a social sciences guy by, by training, uh, and I've worked in research and evaluation for government and for not-for-profits and for-purpose organizations uh, for about 20-odd years. Rooftop Social is the little company uh, that I that I run, and people hire us when they want to understand something better. So do some research, uh, or if they want to evaluate something, know how it's going, or or if they want to plan how they're going to evaluate it, to do some sense-making so they can make some decisions.
0: Perfect. Well, who better to ask uh, about why evaluation is important? We at Creatable uh, have been spending a lot of time unpacking the skills for the future, and evaluation keeps coming to the fore. So we wanted to learn a little bit more about it.
1: What what evaluation is? is and how, and how does it differ from other kinds of thinking is, is maybe a, a good place to start. The idea of low-order thinking and high-order thinking is sometimes a handy on-ramp here uh, where evaluation sits next to things like analysis and creativity as, as a type of high-order thinking. And really uh, uh, what we're doing when we're evaluating is we're, we're looking at something carefully and we're weighing it up that kind of thinking then provides the fuel for creativity. So if I say this is good, then how do I protect it? If I say this isn't quite right, then how do I fix it? So protecting something or, or fixing something or whatever that might be, that's going to draw on all your creative juices. And, and the evaluation that you've done is going to equip you to, to do that and to do that well.
0: So if, if if I'm a teacher, what role does evaluation play for me? I mean, straight away, where my mind goes is you know, student assessment data, but it's bigger than that is what I'm hearing you say.
1: Yeah, so I think um, evaluation obviously takes, um, takes you into the, the idea of evaluating your students and how are they going with their learning. But I think also as a teacher, you're evaluating your teaching. So when I see um, here's how Anthony's going, uh, then that also gives me information about, well, here's how I'm going supporting Anthony's learning. So I think there's two screens straight away but then there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of weighing up that goes on as a teacher there's lots of micro judgments that get made all all the time there are going to be things in a school culture like the systems the processes that we've got how we engage with our parents how does how do I work with my stage partner there's all sorts of process things that you could say i think we need to i think we need to pause i think we should have a look at this it's a fine line between being in a rut and being in a groove We've been doing it this way for a while. Are we happy with this? If we are, let's keep on going. If we're not, how come, how do we wanna do things differently? And then being able to have that continuous improvement cycle. I think that's probably where I'd put evaluation in the in the life of a teacher is gonna be part of any continuous improvement cycle. And it sits really obviously in the teaching and learning cycle.
0: Yeah, so in- informed decision-making, collect the information, uh, ask the right question, seems to be coming through, so I might push on you a little bit more there, but ask the right question, collect that information, reconcile it with what's going on and what I think should be going on, and then make an informed decision as part of that continuous improvement cycle. Is that a good playback?
1: Sure, yeah, and, and, and I think um, within that, you don't want to assume that the decision that you make is the only decision you could have made or that the decision you make is necessarily uh, is going to be guaranteed the best play. There's a there's a bit of trial and error when you're working with human beings. Teachers are human beings as much as parents are, as much as students are. Sometimes I take my inspiration from Disney movies. I was watching Frozen 2 the other day and I can't remember exactly whose advice it was to whom, but the, the idea was when you can't see what's in front of you, what you have to do is the next right thing. That that may that may be Elsa. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that was Elsa, but but I, I could be wrong. But it's that that idea of try, like, can we try to work out what's the next right thing? We can't see we can't see four years into the future here, but we can work out what the next right thing is, and then we just watch it like a hawk. So we evaluate the situation that we're in, we evaluate what we've done in the past, and then we plan to evaluate the thing that we do next so that we can keep watching not assuming that every every everything that comes out of our gun is a silver bullet in fact we know that most things ain't
0: so uh, something interesting there other than the elsa reference which i'm pretty confident you're right on um <laughs> i i guess there's always a tension around over planning you know like i don't know exactly what it's going to look like in four years time so why am i writing a four-year plan what I'm hearing is a little bit of four years will come around, so plan it out and then watch to see if the plan that you've put in place, like evaluate each step, like incrementally as we go to see if we are still on track for that plan or if that plan's even leading us the right place.
1: You you do hear people with these um, kind of naff sayings like failing to plan is planning to fail. Uh, And I, I, you know... I. I think you can actually do a whole lot of good by making quick decisions on the run. But if you don't have a destination in mind, uh, then it's quite difficult to know whether that decision you're making on the run is a good one or not, because how, how would you know it's a it's a good call in order to be... Nimble and responsive to your context, and make quick decisions that you're happy to live with, and so on and so on. You need to be operating within a framework that says this is what matters to us, this is what's important, this is where we're going. And as a part of all of that prioritisation process, this is where we're not going, and these are the things that we're happy to let go or just let it be, uh, because we can't change everything all at once. So if a if a planning process lets you set goals. And then they then become your true north. That's what you then come back to. So that when you're in the moment and you've got to say, do I do this or do I that? say, so, well, which one is going to get us closer to where we want to go? Let's do that. Can, can I give you an example from parenting? Great bit of advice I was given when I was a, uh, a father of a two or three-year-old. I've got three kids now who are in year nine and year seven and year four. Um, but when the year nine kid was, was little, uh, an older guy a psychologist said, look, When children are born, they are 100% manipulative and 100% needy. Your goal as a parent is by the time your children are adults, they are non-manipulative, non-needy adults. Like that's that's your goal. That's the direction that you're going in. So then when, when you get a decision of, you know, can I go to Ethan's place this afternoon? Or, you know, can I have some more screen time or whatever the, the question is that's that's present, that quick check-in, does this align with like what, what am I doing here? Yeah, you know, is, is this does it matter? Firstly, and then if it does, um, is it going to get us towards this broader trajectory of not being needy and not being manipulative? So I think if planning Strat planning, F3, four-year planning has that spirit to it. It helps orient us so that we can then make good decisions along the way. And it gives us something to reflect against, gives us a bit of a mirror to see ourselves in. Yeah, This is what we said we were going to do because that was what we said was important. So now when we look at what we're doing, is it is it working? And when we look at what we said was important, is that still what's important to us? That, that can change a little bit over time as well. So if evaluation is a part of those kinds of processes, then I'm in.
0: Yeah, that makes heaps of sense. I I think sometimes it felt like me anyway, in some classrooms that you can get a little bit caught in the minutiae of a process right in front of you. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I have to upkeep my data wall uh, with student assessment data periodically. And I feel like if my true north is to improve the confidence and ability of the students in my class to read, and I feel like for sure knowing where they're at and where to next and keeping that data is important, but if I feel like I'm spending more time entering the data than I am instructing the reading and my true north is reading improvement, then maybe I need to evaluate the worth of my actions because uh, something interesting you said in that was, you can't make all the changes simultaneously, you know, and, and so maybe the reflection I need to make at that point, is the action that I'm taking today the best thing for reaching my true north, which is improving reading outcomes, or is the thing I'm doing today getting me further from that goal?
1: Uh, don't you? Absolutely. And so so to, to someone who's listening, thinking, oh, you've just told my story, like my data wall, I, I thought it would be a good idea because dot, dot, dot. But now what I'm starting to see is dot, dot, dot. So therefore what I'm gonna do about that is dot, dot, dot. And I think that little structure is, is really helpful to be able to say, when I, when we embarked on this, the reason why we did it, that's, that's really clear. So in your in your story there, the reason why I did this was because I thought a data wall would be a good way for me to keep track of my students' progress in reading. Why? Because I need to know where they're at and, how, and what kind of progress they're making in order for me to best teach them. What I'm starting to see is that my data wall doesn't help me with this. It does help me with that and it doesn't help me with this. So therefore what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use it for what it's good for. A data wall is really not good for what ails me. So I'm not gonna dismantle my data wall but I'm going to I'm going to use it for what it's good for because now I know more about it. Um, but I'm not going to put too much pressure on it, and I'm not going to ask it to solve this kind of differentiation challenge or this adjustment challenge that I've got, or or um, this interpersonal uh, issue that's happening between these students over there. That's that's not what this tool is good for. And so those kinds of reflective cycles um, are, are really healthy to go on. I tell you what what I find that that's interesting though. Is how lonely a process that can be if you're the only person doing that thinking. Like if I was in your situation there and I'm going through this like this moment of doubt about what's the value of my data wall, if I if I can talk to another teacher in my school or somewhere else who's also doing a similar kind of thing, then we can ask each other good questions. And sometimes it's not, it's not until you ask somebody else a question, you think, actually, that's a really good question for me to ask myself. Um, or uh, it's, it's, there's an aspect of your practice that you don't see because you're, you're so familiar with it, you're so used to it, that somebody else's fresh eyes on you and your fresh eyes on them, that's a very helpful context in which to engage in evaluative thinking.
0: Yeah, so we, we spent some time recently with Atlassian and one of the things they spoke to us about when they were talking about cl- uh, like collaborative problem solving was creating echo chambers. You know, that idea that great minds think alike, but the full sentence is great minds think alike, but fools seldom differ, you know. So the idea that, you know, if, if I was in school, uh, I think the temptation to kind of cheat would be pretty high. You know, like I find my data wall, you know, here's the attendance of my students. There's a pattern that clearly says there's an attendance issue. Uh, but I find someone that's like-minded with me and says, oh, yeah, I understand why you've got that pattern. Uh, and we come to the same kind of conclusion, you know, uh, because I've asked someone who's got similar feelings to me or had similar experiences to me. So I guess the question is, do you have any any strategies for keeping fresh eyes or avoiding that echo chamber?
1: Yeah, that's a great interview that you've, you've done um, previously with, um, I think it was Dom, from from Atlassian. So, for those who are listening to this and haven't heard uh, haven't heard that one, I'd uh, recommend that. I, I particularly liked the uh, the, the comment about theatre. So, he talked about collaboration theatre, something that's pretending to be collaborative but actually it's not. You're just waiting for someone else to come up with your idea and then you greenlight it. And and he also talks about innovation theatre. We could talk about evaluation theatre uh, in 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 the same way. Something that has all the trappings of it looks like you know it sounds like but actually when you crack it open it's it's not really it's more confirmation bias it's a type of type of bias that that anyone can have I, I, arguably we all stray stray into it confirmation bias is where you you notice things that um support the view you already have and the things that challenge you uh, they, they they're kind of like water off a duck's back. That's, that's if it's a cold bias. If it's a hot bias, you know you're doing it and you're intentionally setting up a process that's just going to confirm what you already uh, think. So I, I, I think my first thing I would say is if you don't really want to engage in an authentic process of reflection and evaluation, then don't set something up, call it evaluative, and then just reverse park your your existing judgment into it, and then go tick we evaluated because frankly that doesn't help anybody, and in fact it just besmirches the good name of evaluation. I did enjoy the way that you reflected on the first season of this podcast, with some um, you know with a, a, a nice little setup of um, well if I want to if I want to inauthentically evaluate this what am I going to do I'm just going to grab some data that I like and I'm going to share it with people. You already think the way I do, and and then I'm only going to talk about the good stuff. And so, like, if, if that's really all you have the um, the appetite for, don't call it evaluation because it's it's not. But I think if you if you do have an intent to to want to critically reflect, I'll, I'll give you two two strategies. Number one is who do you bring in the room, and then number two is when do you do your thinking about evaluation. Uh, I, I would probably be guilty if accused of being an optimist, right? I'm a glass half full kind of person and also an, an extrovert. I tend to get energised when I'm with other people. So if I were to want somebody who was different in the way that they think, I would be well served by somebody who's a bit of a sceptic and they're also a bit of a um, Uh, well, perhaps an introvert, but I'll tell you what, a slow thinker. Uh, I've learned a slow thinker is really good for me because I do a lot of thinking on my feet and I do a lot of thinking by talking it out. So I know what I want to say after I've said it rather than working out what I want to say and then saying it. I sat on a board one time with a guy after the second board meeting. He said, I just need to let you know that if these meetings are going to work like this, then I'll need to resign. I think the work that we're doing here is really important, but I can't contribute with when all of the information that we get, we get on the day that we need to use it. I need to sleep on this stuff. We changed the processes. He, His insight was rare and beautiful, but it was to do with it was neuro, neurodivergence, dare I say. I think that's a that's a good good category to think in. So people who think differently to me, when do I bring them in? I think bring them in, when you are trying to work out what questions you have and what kind of information between the two of you or three of you, you will find useful to answer those questions. Divergent ways of thinking in the team and, uh, and start your thinking about how you want to evaluate early even if you're not going to actually do that evaluation until later.
0: Is it, okay, is it okay to just pause and go back to the start and say we're not ready to progress now and go and collect more information? So there's a bit of tension between that. Um, I said I'd have this annual review completed by the end of this year or, or I have to tick this box by the end, so I'll just sort of submit it in. Is What's your advice around when the information's not clear at the end, you know, what, what you should do?
1: Look, you've got to play the ball from where it lies. You might like to be hitting it off the tee, but if it's in the rough, you play it from the rough. You can't go back in time. Um, and and have a and have a do-over you've got next time there's definitely some learning to be had from from that situation that you've described you know I'm, I'm in a bit of a pickle it's the 11th hour and I haven't got the kind of information that I'd like to have at this point you're in the rough what do you do well you just pick the right club for the situation you're in and you hit from there just be realistic about it but also in a process like that don't Pretend that you've got the kind of certainty and clarity that you don't have. There's a there's an old adage in in this kind of uh, work that that a well considered, I don't know, is of much greater value than a false positive or a false negative. So you're much better off being cautious about the conclusions you can draw than overstating how certain you can you can be. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about the way that. Schools run. Yeah, uh, you, know, you, t- you have to pick the right cadence for um, what you know. How tight are the loops of our of our improvement cycle that we're on? And then your evaluative practice nests in with however tight that loop is. If so if it's a if it's a three year plan, we've got a three year kind of evaluation kind of loop. But surely we've got loops within that. You know, that's that's a long time to be uh, to be waiting. What can we know? What would be useful within that? You have to be pretty keen. Uh, to to do or get your entire evaluation house in order all the time. Some some things are going to slip through the cracks. And again, I'd, I'd come back to the idea of don't don't make it up, but learn, but if you if you feel that burn of thinking man, I really wish I was in a better position to make that decision. Yeah, don't waste your pain. <laughs> Channel that into into better process for for next time.
0: with Dunk today, a few things resonated for me. The first was that evaluation is for everyone. So while we've been talking largely about how it's important for students in the future, it can also be applied to our teaching practice. The second was, it doesn't have to be super heavy. Doing an evaluation and being evaluative are not the same thing. Each has its own place. And while not everyone will conduct a really formal evaluation, everyone will benefit from being evaluative. And the final thought when you evaluate things they won't always go to plan in reality you can learn more from when things go wrong so pay attention to the why have clear outcomes understand your true north and approach it with an open mind if you want to explore evaluation in more depth we have five new courses available on our website for you to check out Thanks for listening to Creatable Future. Leave us a review and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you'd like more of. Reviews help us reach more listeners so that we can keep bringing you more awesome conversations. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date with each episode as they come out. If you want to hear more about how Creatable is connecting schools with industry through our professional learning library, head to creatablefuture.com. This episode was recorded on Darawal and Darug Country.